0: It is my great pleasure to to welcome John and Amy, Um, just great friends of the ministry, great friends of us personally. Uh, They always minister to this body on so many levels, and that's one of the amazing things because not only do you get fed the word, and and it's just deep, and it's rich, and it's transforming and, and, and challenging, challenging to the core, but... You know, then there's the, the time of fellowship, which we get with them. I want to say, unlike, uh, maybe not here, but, but many speakers that you may find, you know, you get a chance to rub elbows with them. You get to see and, and interact with them and let them just further massage things into your heart and into your lives. And, and you get to do the same into their lives as well. You know, they're just that transparent and open. And uh, it's been just such a blessing. Well, there's so many things I could say, I'm going to leave it at that for right now and just welcome my good friends, Don and Amy. Yeah! yeah. Hi, guys. It's so good to be back here. Our, um, Johnny's just going to get a couple of slides set up, but I just have to let you know that our family has grown since we were last here. True. We now have 11 children, because my son just got married. So we have three kiddos married. And it is, it's is—it's really fun to expand your family this way too. You know, all the years where you're having babies. And then all of a sudden, your babies are having babies. And your babies are getting married. And it's its really, really fun to watch your son fall in love. I'm just going to say. It was such a fun ...thing to see Benny go from, man, I'm probably not going to get married for years, to holy Toledo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Toledo, that's right. Yeah, and they. it's been really, really fun. Um, I just, before Johnny gets started, I just want to say that there are moments in our own personal journeys... ...where we have a holy opportunities before the Lord... And, you know, when we're declaring that God is good, it's that is a holy opportunity. Because so many times we name things based on what we see with our eyes. So I see everything's going my way. My family walks in perfect health. My husband is behaving appropriately. <laughs> and then we say, well, God, you're good. And we declare it based on what we see. But there are holy opportunities, and I think these are sacred moments that turn the kingdom on its head. And those are moments where no matter what we see with our eyes, we name him as good. And I just want to take a moment that no matter what you see with your eyes, in your present circumstances, what the things are that you would name God good in the midst of it. Because it's easy to grumble, it's easy to complain, it's easy to say, but you're disappointing me. But I just want to declare that over all of us, that we would look at every one of our circumstances and take the opportunity to declare his goodness in the midst of it, not based on what we see, but what we know about who he is. And, uh, and everything shifts. Everything shifts in here when I name it according to truth instead of calculations. Amen. Hey everyone,
1: we are so delighted to be here. I know Fred was just talking about, you know, sort of sort of the give and take that happens when you get invited to a place like this, and, and it's absolutely true. We just love you. We we know so many of you now so so well. We just love you, and we and we, we legitimately, honestly, as God is my witness, look forward to this time together. We really do. And, and uh, you know, when you when you travel in ministry. Um, you know, different places have different purposes. You know, we, we go to get invited to different places for different reasons. You know, I was just Johnny Dumbbell at <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Kind of a different reason than what I'm going to be doing here this weekend, right? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I, uh, I, I do whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to do, but we'll, we'll see how the weekend goes. Um, yeah. But you know, this this place is special. And I, you know, we we have a home church called Eden in, in Pillager, Minnesota. And I always tell them, like, you guys are my experimental people. Like the things that, you know, I'm gonna run this by you and see how, you know, throw in the pond, see how it floats, kind of thing. Um, this place for us, you know, is just a really um, to be honest, like like we go to heaven on your behalf before we come. And and so, you know, my wife is talking tomorrow. I have absolutely no idea what she's talking about. You know I mean? It's not like this is planned. I mean, we really go and connect, try to connect with the Holy Spirit to see what Holy Spirit has for you. And so, you know, we are family ministers. We are GoFam ministries. And that's and we know as family goes, so goes the culture. And that's that's the bell I'm going to ring until I go to the grave where he tells me otherwise. Um, however, comma, you know, what we want to share with you this weekend is really just fresh from... From just talking to Papa about you guys, because we have such such affection for you, and uh, so I just want you to know that that like this, you know, isn't a three part message series on on whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that, and he may tell us to do that sometimes, kind of go back to the core and the basics for you on your behalf. But this weekend is, is going to be interesting <laughs> in a really good, exciting way. I mean, I I just I really feel like um, that he's just he's depositing something. And and we are here to deposit what he told us to deposit, and so that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to go after. So, I am. Um, you know, you you, you would think that you would learn over time, but when we road trip, one, it's kind of becoming a little bit of a tradition to road trip, and we and we, no judgment now, okay. We we crack on John Denver. <laughs> I, I, I'm a big John Denver fan. I kind of grew up listening to him yeah. with, with with the A-track. track. I said no judgment. So, but now, but now it's tradition. And so, we, and so I remember driving as a kid. And oh, okay. How many people remember a track tapes? Tim, your hand yeah, a track. Not everybody in the room. But, we, you know, now before there were seat belts. I mean, before we had to be seatbelted. Yes. And so we, I would lay with a sleeping bag in the back of our van, kind of between the seats, and underneath the seat was an A-track player, and one of them was John Denver's Greatest Hits. That was one of the, you know, we had, it was that, and, you know, the PGs, and <laughs> a whole bunch of other good stuff. But, so we just grew up... We just grew up, just, you have to not judge me. <laughs> Are you seeing that? look okay, the disappointment. <laughs> my point in saying this is, is that John Denver sings a little higher than I can ever sing. I mean, he's a, he's a tenor. I mean, he sings just out of my comfort zone. But that doesn't keep me from trying. And so, usually what happens is, it's about an hour of singing beyond my range. And so I always come to these places on my road trip, and I'm like kind of hoarse. And so if I squeak a little bit, it's because of that. <laughs> That's a really long story, just to tell to me that. It's his fault. if he would just sing just a little bit lower. He's he's not high enough that I can go a whole octave lower. So you have to just belt it. You know, thank God I'm a country boy. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, so, so what I want to talk tonight, um, and I really believe that the Holy Spirit's going to go after some stuff for for, for specific people here in this room. But um, I want to talk about about three three characters. You know, if you if you listen to any of our teaching. We love to go back to Genesis, the first couple chapters in Genesis, because we feel like it's so rich in the realm of family. It's so rich in the realm of culture. Um, we, we go back to what the father created for us before sin entered the world. And I think we'd be really smart to lean into that environment and that culture that he created for us. And in that culture, um, there were three characters. Okay. in the story that we're kind of familiar with. And, um, we know that there were two fathers that were there in the garden. And and the first father we know very well, and we love him, and, and he created something so beautiful for us. And if you haven't read Genesis chapter 2 for a while, you'll get a feel for the heart of the father. He, he created for us something extravagant, beautiful, he created family, he placed it there. It was, it was a realm and a culture that he created, and, and the realm was a realm of truth truth was actually implied was actually he actually positioned us in the realm of truth in creation and and so Jesus came along and Jesus said I am the truth which implies that Jesus was kind of around too i mean we kind of get that you know he was when was he slain he was slain from the foundations of the earth <laughs> and so he was there and so Jesus is actually the embodiment of truth the embodiment of truth and so it says um, in John fourteen six. Jesus answers that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but by or except through me. And so he is the pathway. He is the avenue to this father that created something beautiful for us from the very beginning of time. And so he is the father of truth, and there was a culture. Now, it's important to understand, as we talk about the next father, that Satan is not the equal and opposite of God. Right? So it's not like, you know, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. It's like, you know, that's the way we think sometimes. But, you know, Satan was a created being, like we were and are, and, and, and he is defeated. He's a withering branch cut off from his source. and And so he is not the equal and opposite of God. But it says in John eight forty four, 44, it said, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from where? From the beginning, right? Not holding to the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and a father of lies. So we have two characters here, right? And truth is a thing. Everybody say, truth is a thing. Truth is a thing. Lies is, are not, i say is or are. Lies are not a thing. Everybody say that. Lies are not a thing. Okay? So it's important to know that, because it's not like he's a creator, and he's just creating something that's opposite or an alternative. Right? That's not who he is. He can't do that. All he can do is try to separate you from the truth. And it's called a lie, <laughs> and so I. This is this is John's definition of truth. Okay, everybody, this is John's definition. <laughs> truth is the reality of the kingdom and the absoluteness of His word. That's the realm that He created. That's the culture that He actually placed us in. Remember, truth is a realm embodied in Jesus. We doing okay? And it's the reality of the kingdom and the absoluteness of this word. So Jesus comes along and says, Behold, the kingdom is at hand. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. He's like, here I am. Like, boom. I, I am the embodiment of truth and the realm of the kingdom. And so all the devil has, all the enemy has, is to convince you that his kingdom isn't real or that his word isn't absolute. That's all he has. That's it. Good night. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> it's the end of the message. It really is the end of the message because we have to understand that the truth is what he's created for us. It's called his kingdom, and we get to live in it and dwell in it, right? And when he speaks to us, it's absolute. There's not alternatives, alternative ways to try to understand him or alternative ways to get to god that the world is trying to tell us it doesn't work that way there is an absoluteness about him and all the devil can do is try to convince you that the kingdom isn't real and that his word is not absolute and i'm telling you that's the that's what happened at the very beginning we're we're going to read about that and it's what he does today he's a one-trick pony it's all he's got And so if you're struggling with the enemy speaking to you, he's only going to speak to you from those two pathways. He's going to convince you that his kingdom isn't real. He's not going to be there for you. Everything he's talked about is smoke and mirrors. And when the Lord speaks to you, it's not absolute. That's what he does. So we're going to go to the cast of three characters because we know that there's a third character in the story, right? And that's Adam and Eve, which is us, which is mankind, okay? And so I'm going to read this story, and this is one you're very familiar with, but let's read it, okay? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, got it? You must not eat from every tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. For the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And so when we read this story, you know, the story is really about nakedness because there was a culture of nakedness that he created they were naked and they were unashamed i don't think they were just unashamed that they were naked i think they were they were naked and they were without any shame that was the culture that he placed them in and the enemy comes along and attacks them from the level of the reality of his kingdom and the absoluteness of his word and so he said hey you're going to be like god guess what they were already like god <laughs> created in his image. But they were trying to convince him that that kingdom isn't real. God is trying to lie to you. He's trying to deceive you. And when he said all of these things, he really didn't mean it. Nothing's changed. He's a one-trick pony. This is the way that he works. And how many know, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many know that the enemy tempts you and then accuses you? (laughs) I think we've all been there. He tempts you and then he accuses you. And so we know that that's happened here. But what, we, what is really, really interesting about this story is what happened and what was lost in the garden was a spiritual loss. And I can prove it. Because I don't know if you caught this, but Satan, most the conversation probably went like this. I wasn't there, we can't prove it, but I'm pretty confident. It went something like this. Hey, you guys just did the one thing... You had freedom over the whole earth. But you did the one thing that he told you that you couldn't do. And oh, by the way, he's coming soon. And he's going to be really angry at you. And do you realize the current state that you're in right now that you are actually naked before him? And he's going to be angry because you have violated the very rule that he told you to not violate. And the reason I know that is because it says their eyes were open they saw something that they wouldn't see before and they also he also said who told you that you were naked their ears were open to a voice that they didn't have access to before and that's what sin does sin opens your eyes it opens your ears to a voice that did not supposed to have authority to speak to them but here's the crazy part is they saw, they listened to his voice, they, it says they heeded the voice of the enemy, and they fashioned fig leaves, and they covered themselves, because they were ashamed that they were naked. But then God comes around, and he said, where are you? And they said, we hid, because we were naked. They weren't naked. They had just fashioned fig leaves and covered themselves. Do you guys catch that? What that says to me is that they were spiritually naked. There was a spiritual connection that was supposed to take place with a father, an intimate place, and with each other. How many know that they actually hid from each other before they hid from the father? But because they were physically covered, still spiritually, they were exposed before God, and they said, "We uh, we were ashamed because we were naked. And so shame... And self-condemnation, this idea of of the voice speaking inside of our brain, is actually the first sinister manifestation of sin that actually entered the earth. It was shame. It was self-condemnation. We don't measure up any longer. And it's the voice, there's a voice that was speaking to them that wasn't supposed to have access into their lives. They were supposed to actually subdue it. Satan was present, but he actually had no effect. He had no power or authority until they gave it to him. And all of a sudden there was this voice that was speaking to them. And there was a spiritual loss. I think, I think shame is, is one of the ugliest, most sinister plan of the enemy still today. In fact, I think it's so bad that I, I would just submit to you that the term shame on you... We should just take that out of our vocabulary. I think it's as bad as damn you or go to hell. I mean, it's like it's like that kind of category that you would say to somebody as a curse to say shame on you is actually, is actually placing upon them this yoke of the sinister plan of the enemy. Shame is that much of an ugly word. And shame was a spiritual loss. Everybody say spiritual loss. Spiritual
0: loss?
1: Super important. Because it's separating ourselves from a loving father and listening to another voice. The one we just read about, the father of lies. He has access, he has access to speak to you. And and here's the deal. I think I think here's just the punchline for the night if we can just get right to it. We may think, and sometimes maybe this is even preached from some certain pulpits across this country, it's quite possible. That to be to have self condemnation, we may think that it's actually noble. So hear me in this. We, we have to lean into this tonight. I think this is for you guys. Okay. We think that it might actually be noble, and we and we sit there and we kind of go, you know. I, I I know you're disappointed in me, but you can't be disappointed in me because I'm my own worst critic. You know, we say things like that in our spirit. And and I understand why God wouldn't use me. I understand, I'm I'm a mess. And so we begin the self-condemnation talk, which is that voice inside of our brain, and guess where it's coming from? And and somewhere along the line, we've actually, if we're not careful, we think that it's like this noble position to be in, where I am so lowly (laughs) that I can understand why God wouldn't use me and i can understand why you look at me that way it's called self-condemnation and and and, and somewhere along the line if we're really not careful we actually could call it humility and and i would i would like to submit to you tonight that i think self-condemnation disguised as humility is actually an antichrist spirit Why do I say that? Because Christ is the spirit of truth. That's the realm he created for us and actually deposited deposited us into. That we're supposed to live into that place where we are connected to the true voice. When we step out of that and we separate ourselves just like what happened in the garden and we allow another voice to enter in and it says, you messed up again. And he's coming around, by the way, and he's going to be disappointed in you. And we listen to that voice and we and we start to bring self-condemnation on ourselves and we say, well, I'm just going to sit over here and I'm going to call it humility. <laughs> I found this um, doing a Google search. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say it. But I thought it was the best definition of humility that I've ever seen. And so here it goes. <laughs> Biblical humility means believing what God says about you, or anyone else's opinion, over anyone else's opinion, including your own. It requires embracing who you are in Christ over who you are in the flesh. To be biblically humble is to be so free of concern for your own ego that you, I love this word, unreservedly elevate those around you. Is that a powerful paragraph or what? Here's the deal: self condemnation, that voice inside of you that keeps you low, keeps you, um, keeps you, um, what's the word? Paralyzed, um, in- inability to move, um, uh, inability to be used. Uh, that place, that self condemnation place, that, that is, is actually it actually comes from the father of lies to keep you on the sideline. That's the purpose. And it's not humility. That is not humility. In fact, it's quite the opposite of humility because we have to connect to what the Father says about us. True biblical humility means believing what God says about you. That's a huge deal. It's a huge deal when we talk about the body of Christ. It's a huge deal when we talk about our families around the dining room table. It's a huge deal when we go to work, when we present ourselves towards the earth. If we believe the voice inside of our head that says that we are no good, that we messed up again, that we have to cover ourselves with shame, guess what? We've just listened to the father of lies. We've we've let him convince us that this kingdom isn't real and that his word isn't absolute. What he says about us is either true or it isn't. (laughs) How about that for a short message? It's either true or it isn't. And what he says about us is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. It, it's a plate, that place of sitting and identity, and we have to be able to silence that voice that speaks to us. Where Jesus came to actually restore the culture of Eden, which means, unfortunately, that the enemy is still there. Right? He still has a voice, but he is still of no effect. The work of the cross actually canceled the power of the enemy again. And so we are still sitting now in that same place where he comes along as a one-trick pony because all he's got is to try to give you a counterfeit alternative explanation for the kingdom of heaven. And you are the centerpiece of it. The battle is right here. It's right here. So we can only believe about ourselves what he believes about us. So Jesus comes along, of course, and he says, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like this man who goes and sells everything that he asks for his inheritance up front and then he goes into the city and, he's, and he spoils it all on riotous living. It's gone. He has no more money. And a famine hits the land. He gets hungry. And he thinks to himself, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is key. He thinks to himself, I'd be better off being a slave in my father's house. Now, we may hear that story and we go, oh, what a humble guy. I'm telling you, that's a misinterpretation of the story. You might say, what a humble guy to realize that he messed up and that he can go back to his father's house and come in low, come in low and and be a servant in in the father's home because that's what he deserves. It's a misinterpretation of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Are you guys hearing this okay? This is really important. Because he says, he says, I'm going to go to my father. And he has this rehearsed little speech. I'm going to go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned before you and before God. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And I'm telling you that that is often preached as truth and humility from the pulpit all over. It drives me crazy. <laughs> because that is actually an anti-Christ teaching. And he proves it by telling the rest of the story, Right? He tells the story by saying he goes to his father and the father sees him far off and he runs to him he sees him guys hebrew men didn't run do you guys know that like that wasn't a thing unless they were in battle and they would gird up their loins (laughs) gird up their loins they would they would pull them up and they would sort of cinch them up so that they could run that was the only time that they would do that otherwise it was undignified and so he sees his son far off, and he runs to him. And the son begins his rehearsed message: "Father, I've sinned before you and before God, and I'm no longer..." And it says he stops him, and he said, "There is no way you're going to be a slave in my home." That that that's a countercultural way of thinking when when we understand who we are in His kingdom. And so we can say, well, this man was so humble and the self-condemnation that he blew it all and he was going down and trying to be humble before the Lord. The Lord's like, no, that's you're not thinking right. And he puts a ring on his finger, puts a cloak on his back, and he kills the fatted calf and he throws him a party. That, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so we have to understand that when we allow the enemy to speak to us and say, man, Fred, you blew it. You had this inheritance and you blew it. And Fred thinks to himself, yeah, I did. I blew it, I'm no good. I yeah, I mean we'll let we'll let the real spiritual people run with the kingdom. That's exactly what the enemy wants. That's what that's his goal. Is to keep you completely isolated from what he's called you to. Are we doing okay? So I believe self-condemnation is an antichrist spirit. I believe, okay, here we go. You guys, you guys love me, right? <laughs> I think perfectionism is an antichrist spirit. <laughs> See, this is my definition. This is Chinese definition again. This is my definition of perfectionism: paralyzed by mistakes. Been there, paralyzed by mistakes. That's what that's what my definition of perfectionism is. And we might think to ourselves, I just want to be perfect. I want to do everything right. And that and it, and it sounds noble, it sounds humble. It sounds like all of those things. But I believe it's an antichrist spirit because he loves us as kids. And how many know that kids make mistakes? <laughs> Everybody raise your hand. How many has ever made a mistake? It's super important because, because sometimes we get under that place of condemnation and the enemy comes along and says, my goodness, how many mistakes are you going to make? Aren't you going to cover yourself up? For Pete's (laughs) sakes, it's embarrassing. That's what he says. That's what he told Adam and Eve. It's embarrassing what you just did. Cover yourself. That's what shame does. Shame actually creates a covering over you. And sometimes it's layers and years. But not after tonight. (laughs) We're We're going to take layers and years off. Because he, he wants us back into that place of intimacy. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he's calling you guys to. Yeah. I, I, I believe that it, if the body of Christ can get this, can get this understanding of, of the fact that you are freed from shame, and that he loves you just the way you are, it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean he doesn't work on you and makes you more like Christ. Of course he does those things. But it's not with shame and condemnation. He never rolls that way, and so if you feel that, if you feel like you've put on that shame and condemnation, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get this right. If you feel like that's you, then you've actually allowed the enemy to separate you from the perfect plan that God has for you. It's just that simple. It's actually, it's actually, it's actually false humility, is what it is. It's a counterfeit. It's a false humility Because really what it's doing When we live in self-condemnation I know it's hard to hear It's actually still drawing attention to yourself yeah. Yeah. And, and it's drawing attention to yourself At the expense of others And disqualifies you From
0: <laughs>
1: From serving Disqualifies you from serving And unreservedly elevating Those around you Do you see that? When, when you live in a place of self-condemnation, it actually disempowers you to actually unreservedly elevate those around you. My daughter pointed this out to me the other day. Mark 12, 30 to 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It's interesting... You know, because a lot of times we bristle at the whole love yourself thing. Peace, flower child. <laughs> you know, this whole self-love, blah, 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 makes you gag and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But let's be clear that what this is saying is is there needs to be that place of love that he gives you actually towards and pointing towards yourself that actually empowers you and allows you to live naked and free. That's what his love does. It frees you, Right? And and so the other way of saying this is As you love yourself, love your neighbor That's an alternative way of saying this As you love yourself, love your neighbor Or another way of saying it is If you don't love yourself, it's almost impossible to love your neighbor (laughs) Why? Because self-condemnation disempowers you From unreservedly elevating those around you Are we connecting the dots? (laughs) See, the prodigal needs to see himself as royalty and co heirs with Christ. That's where he went wrong. Is he looked at his mistake and he disempo- he became disempowered from his identity? That's what the enemy does. What the prodigal needed to do is say, I screwed up, I'm gonna run to daddy. <laughs> I'm gonna run to daddy, he's gonna know what to do. Why? Because I'm an heir. I'm a son. See, we can only believe about ourselves what he believes about us. Let's say it together. We can only believe about ourselves what he believes about us. I think that's true. So when we have a spiritual problem, okay, we decided that this whole shame business is a spiritual problem, right? It requires a spiritual answer. <laughs> See, the world would today would tell you, oh, you know, you're living with a lot of shame, you're living with a lot of guilt, um, you're down on yourself, you're depressed, um, so the world will offer you things to help your soul. A little meditation, you need to go on vacation, you need to make more money. <laughs> All of the things that the world will try to offer you to try to bring health to your soul, but actually never taps into the real problem, which is your spirit. It's that spiritual connectedness that can only come from a Father and the Kingdom of Heaven. See, we have a secret sauce. Oh, see what I did there? We have a secret sauce. (laughs) This This is the secret sauce. We're connected to the Spirit. We're not body and soul. Our body and soul flows from our spirit. We're actually connected to the Spirit of Heaven. How many in this room are connected to the spirit of heaven? I need to see hands. That's everybody. Put your hand up. It's important. This is where your identity. That's who you are. You're connected to heaven. Which means that unlike some parts of this world, you actually have an answer to a spiritual problem. And it's a father. The father is always the answer. And so when we talk about healing, when we're trying to pursue healing from shame and self-condemnation, which I'm sure all of us have had moments, Right? And I think there's some in this room that feel probably pretty gripped by it, honestly. And when we have that, we need to go to the Father. We need to address the three characters in the story, okay? Because they all need to be addressed. And so the first one is our loving Heavenly Father. And so the answer that he gives us is his lap. (laughs) We get to run to him and go climb up on his lap. That's the answer. He doesn't sit here like this and go, screw up. He doesn't do it. I, I, I'm not trying to be glib about it. Sometimes people think that's what he does. Because we've made mistakes and sometimes we make the same mistake over and over again. <laughs> and, you know, and at what point does God just like give up and throw up his hands? And the answer is never. Never. Jesus' blood is either enough or it isn't. And so so the answer is, you know, I think I think repentance has gotten like this wrong word. We think repentance is sort of this groveling, come before him, Lord, please don't strike me dead and I know I know I'm, no, I'm a screw up and that's not what repentance is. Repentance isn't running from something. Repentance is running to something. It's running toward something. And so when we make a mistake, we hop up on Father's lap and we say, Papa, help me. And he does. And he takes it from you. It's called repentance. It's beautiful. Repentance is always a good work. Always. Never something to be afraid of. Never something to be feared. It's always a good work. That's what the Holy Spirit will always do for you. And so, it's, it's running to the Father instead of hiding from the Father. That's what repentance is. I believe, this is what I believe, I'm not a theologian, <laughs> But I believe that God ran to them when they sinned. They hid from him, but he came to them. That's, that's his heart. It was a demonstration of a father's heart. God could have just sat up there in heaven and said, oh. I mean, he knew what happened. And he could have just sat there and said, well, that didn't go well. <laughs> Any other ideas about creation? What should we do now? I mean, that wasn't the conversation. He went to them because his lap was available. That's what I think. And so he is the father of truth. And so when we're struggling with lies, when we're struggling with self-condemnation, guess what? Enter into his realm. His realm of truth. It's the father of truth. It's Jesus. It's his blood. And he holds you and he comforts you and you climb up on his lap. The second character we need to address is also a spiritual issue. And that's this, this enemy guy. And we kind of mentioned before, he's defeated. And so when the Father created mankind, and I believe I call it the first great commission that he gave to family, he said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. The word subdue is the word kabosh. Have you ever heard of that before? Put a kabosh on something. It means to actually put under your feet. The word subdue is the actual, the actual interpretation of the word is the word footstool means to put under your feet. And so Adam and Eve were created, they were placed into a culture where there was an enemy, but he was supposed to be subdued. He was supposed to be of no effect. He was supposed to not have a voice into their lives. Their ears and their eyes were supposed to be closed to him, and they were supposed to be connected to heaven. And so we sit in that place again. Um, He actually restored us to rule in the presence of our enemies. That's the culture of Eden. And so we're back in that place again. And so when the enemy starts to lie to us, when he starts to pull us away from our true identity and who we are, we need to start getting really good at recognizing the lies. and I believe I believe a key to that is knowing what the kingdom is, is like. That's why Jesus kept saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Because he wanted to tell us what it was like so that when the enemy lies to you, it feels countercultural. Like you know what, I, I know I screwed up, but you know, he's telling me that I I need to cancel everything, like I need to like I'm not worthy. And all of a sudden you start hearing that and you're kinda of going, you know what? Actually, no, that actually doesn't line up with what he says about me, actually. Hmm, I wonder I wonder where that point I wonder who told me that. I think it's, I think it's one of the, the greatest tools, and my wife does this very well. One of the greatest tools that we can use in family um, and personal accountability is the phrase, who told you that? Because a lot of times when we're in intimate relationships, people will start vomiting on us. (laughs) Right? Is that okay to say it in your church? (laughs) You know, it's vomiting, vomiting. You know what I mean? All of a sudden it's like, I'm no good. I messed up. Uh, 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 uh. And we start doing this self-condemnation game. And, and its I think it's a great tool to very lovingly look them in the eye and say, okay, you messed up. You're, you're not worthy. Who told you that? <laughs> who told you that? Because I guarantee you it wasn't the father in his realm. He doesn't speak to us like that. Yeah. So who else could have told you that? <laughs> right? It seems kind of simple when I say it this way, but when you're in the middle of the self condemnation, it's not so simple. And so, and so, we have to understand that it's, it's a great tool. And a- Amy has has become this mama bear of truth in our home, so that when our kids start start spewing self condemnation, Amy is like, nope, that's that's not true. She doesn't she doesn't coddle it. She doesn't say, oh, honey, you're not you're not a mess up. It's okay you'll be good she doesn't do that either she just said who told you that <laughs> like that's a lie why would you, earth would you believe that about yourself <laughs> and it's done it, it, it's diffused because that's how the enemy operates what, my my first my favorite line in scripture is that Jesus declared the father I love that I love that scripture so much My second very close <laughs> is Jesus who comes out of the water right he gets baptized. And there's a, you know, a dove descends, and this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Identity, right? And then instantly, it says, the Bible says instantly, he goes into the wilderness, right? And he gets tempted of the devil. Okay, now remember, one trick pony. He's dealing with Jesus, the creator of all the universe, and he has no other tactic than what he used in the garden. What the first Adam Failed at, the second Adam succeeded. And what he was able to do is resist the voice of the enemy that started with, and this is almost like you can't even believe it. He starts with, if you are the Son of God. <laughs> I mean, how preposterous is that? Think about that. But it's all he's got. If you are the son of God, do X, Y, and Z. And Jesus was able to stand in his identity. He's able to quote scripture. He's able to turn and say, no, actually what you're saying to me is actually countercultural to what my father actually placed me here on the earth to do. And Jesus knew that. And then this is my second favorite scripture. It says, and then Satan left. left. <laughs> that's the end of the story. Why? Because he had nothing else. <laughs> he's a one trick pony. That's all he's got. So Satan tempts him three times. Jesus said no. It's countercultural. Uh, that's not who I am, and that's not what you're saying. Isn't real, right? And so, and then he goes, oh. And then Satan left. How many want that in their life? <laughs> how, no. how many want the phrase, and then Satan left? <laughs> I mean, that, I'm just telling you, if we get to that point of maturity, that place where we start to get kind of used to his lies, understanding what he does to us, because I, I promise you this, and I don't mean this like in a condemning sort of way, I promise you this, that when you leave here today, the enemy is going to speak to you. <laughs> and he's going to say, well, Dr. Johnny had some good points, but he didn't know me. I'm, not, I'm I'm like really a mess, right? And Satan says, "Yep, you sure are." Like, I mean, he doesn't understand qualification because you're disqualified. And so he begins to speak to you that way instantly. And so we need to we need to steward our identity. We need to know who we are in him so that when these Areas of that voice in you, that self-condemnation starts to rise up that we recognize it as countercultural, and then Satan left. <laughs> That's how it works, guys. Pretty cool. And I believe little littler kiddos, kiddos in this room, you guys can master this early. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, how many know that the enemy is speaking to younger and younger? I mean, he he doesn't care. He wants to take everybody out. And if he can take you out at age eight, with self-condemnation and by the time you're 13 you're suicidal and thinking stuff you shouldn't be thinking i mean that's what we're seeing in our culture why because that's what he does and he doesn't care how old or young or innocent you are he's going to take you out that's what he does and so we can learn at an early age kiddos this truth of who you are you are sons and daughters of the most high god that's who you are and when the enemy tells you anything otherwise you tell him to get lost (laughs) that's what you do that's the one time my wife says that it's okay to tell somebody to shut up. <laughs> right? That's that's inbounds. Is when the enemy speaks to you, we can tell him to shut up. And so, just to close here, the third character is yourself. And sometimes the hardest thing, um, the hardest place to sit in is this forgiveness towards yourself. And that's sometimes where that self condemnation begins is that we refuse to forgive ourselves. We refuse to actually let the blood of Jesus do what it was paid to do, what he paid for it to do. We actually sit there and say, eh, it's too big. It's, I, it's not good enough. And I, I will never forgive myself for this. Have we ever said that? I mean, that's shame. That's what it is. And so we sit there, and so we, um, we need to be able to silence the voice of the enemy, we need to be able to forgive ourselves and then I'll just close with this sometimes you just need help and, and I just want to say that it's okay, that's what the body of Christ is for, okay sometimes these these, these places of shame, these, these coverings can become quite extravagant <laughs> they can be there for a while and, and sometimes you just don't know what to do or, or how to break free from that and sometimes it's just okay to ask other people to come alongside you and just help you. I, I believe that it can get knocked off, and I'm going to offer that tonight. I, I believe that it, sometimes it can just be a spirit of condemnation. And, it, and we can just knock it off. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I will help you with that. I, I, I believe that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's what he told me to do. Okay, So I, I believe that can happen tonight. I believe sometimes, and I believe families are perfect for this, where we just put hedges. Or, you know, you talk about hedge of protection. Like you put hedges around people, and so you just through the power of prayer, through the power of impartation, you can actually just cover people and protect them with the blood of Jesus. You know, my 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 dad loves talking about the red umbrella. Like we put the red umbrella over people because it's the cov- it's covenant, and, and it, that, that his blood covers you. That's what it does. And so you know, he puts us in a body. Because we sometimes just need each other. I've been there. I mean, sometimes you just need somebody because you just can't seem to quite break out. And, and there's no, <laughs> there's no condemnation. That's what he does. He just wants you free. And so I will. I'm going to offer that to you tonight. It would be it would be my pleasure, and I mean that, to take time tonight to just lay hands on you. And if you feel like you feel like you're just kind of stuck in that, or it's like, okay, you know, the self. I, you know, I'm I'm a perfectionist. I can't seem to break away from it. I, there's there's that place of self I can't seem to forgive myself. There's just those things where you just feel kind of stuck. It would be my pleasure, believe me, to lay hands on you. We're just going to knock that off. I, I'll just pray prayer of protection over you. Amy and I can just do that. And so if you're willing to be vulnerable enough to do that, I, I, I would be honored to do that for you tonight. Um, I just feel like what I want to do is maybe just have you stand. Stand together. I'm going, to, I'm going to turn this into a declaration. Let's see if I can do it. <laughs> because we love declarations. We love saying things out loud um, that speak things into the atmosphere, right? So, repeat after me, okay? I believe,
0: I believe what
1: God says about me. What God God says says about me. I embrace, I embrace I am grace who, I am, who I, am I am in Christ over who I am in the flesh. Over over I, in the flesh. I ask to be <laughs> I am so free of concern I am
0: so free of concern
1: for my own ego, my own ego that, I that I unreservedly elevate those around me,
0: those around me.
1: <laughs> yeah that works doesn't it? That, that's powerful <laughs> okay so I'm just going to close with this if you just need some prayer if you just are looking to just uh, do not leave this place feeling whatever that is that's on you, that it's a covering or whatever, Um, please just come forward. Let me just pray for you. Okay, just do that right now. Um, Just be bold. And Amy and I are just going to pray over you. Okay. And then um,
0: tomorrow we are meeting at...